It's one of the uh, um, interesting things these days for me, um, being a chaplain at Lee Abbey, is that I get to go out and preach um, uh, at other places fairly regularly. Uh, admittedly, of course, we're doing, doing stuff on Sundays um, at Lee Abbey all the time, so it's slightly more difficult, but I do tend to go out in the evenings to preach in small Baptist churches uh, around the area in Bratton, Fleming and, and Barnstable and so on, and Coombe Martin as well. Um, but one of, the, one of the things is when you're doing that sort of itinerant type preaching, the, the danger is that you, you think, oh, crumbs, I'm preaching out on Sunday. What passage do I like uh, so I can preach on it? Uh, now, fortunately, um, you folk know me quite well, and so you sent me the passage and the title of the passage as well, so I've had to work a lot harder at it uh, than perhaps if I'd just chosen to do it in, in my own right, as it were. And I have to say, uh, when I, um, I, I did look at it, as soon as Judy sent me through the details, I had a look at it and thought, hmm, that's an interesting, interesting passage, um, because it covers uh, a number of things, actually, I think. Um, and uh, I, I sort of I left it there and, and then came back to it um, uh, earlier in the week and thought, that is an interesting passage. <laughs> it, it does, it does um, carry a number of things in it which we, we could speak about. Um, uh, but it's good for me uh, to have to be challenged uh, to look at texts and work on them a bit harder, I think. So thank you um, for sending me uh, the details of the title as well as the text. Now, it's, um, I don't know where you were last night. Did anybody go out last night? Um, one, one person went out last night. Everybody else stayed at home. Uh, was there any sport last night on the television? I mean, it's a great sporting weekend this weekend, isn't it? I mean, for goodness sake, Jamie Murray this afternoon. Forget the barbecue. Jamie Murray this afternoon. Um, ha- Hammy, Hammy Hamilton. We have got the TV set up. Oh, you got the TV set up. Right, okay, good. Oh, perhaps I'll re- revise my invitation to luncheon. Um, yeah, Hamilton. Um, and then, of course, there's another couple playing in the finals at, at Wimbledon. You've heard that. Mixed doubles. Uh, Robson is playing in the mixed doubles. Fantastic. And, uh, and there's also a small football game in France. Um, but, of course, we're not really interested in that because, you know, we didn't do too well in that. So we'll ignore that one and wait till the World Cup next time round. Uh, yeah, I'm praying too. I'm praying too. Um, so... Um, yeah, last night, uh, you may not have gone out, but you know, often when you go out in the evening, you might go to a, a karaoke evening. Uh, let's start with karaoke this morning, shall we? Um, I'm not going to sing. Well, I might sing. I might burst into song. Um, but uh, here, here's two songs. I work all night. I work all day. To pay the bills, I have to pay. Uh, ain't it sad? And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Money, money, money must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, 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 always sunny in the rich man's world. Aha, all the things I could do. (laughs) I'm only reading the words. (laughs) All the things I could do if I had a little money. It's a rich man's world. You know where that comes from. That's ABBA. Money, money, money. There's another one for the slightly older generation. Uh, Perhaps money makes the world go round. The world go round. The world go round. Money makes the world go round. It makes the world go round. A mark, a yen, a buck or a pound. A buck or a pound. A buck or a pound. Is all that makes the world go round. That clinking, clanking sound can make the world go round. From Cabaret, if you didn't know where that came from. You know, there is, there is perhaps nothing so emotive as money. Cash, readies, dough, 
folding ones and many other slang terms that you could put in there as well. There's nothing, I think, quite so emotive as money. Uh, Michael Jackson, um, very big pop star, died in 2009. Uh, his family have been involved in legal and financial disputes ever since. Uh, after he left um, his siblings out of his will, some of them wrote and, uh, uh, and signed a letter claiming the will to be a fake and calling on the executives of the estate to resign. Uh, they still, I think, are trying to sort out what the will actually looks like and who has all the readies, the dough, the cash, uh, the folding ones. Uh, in one of the more unusual wills, uh, the U.S. real estate mogul, Leona Helmsley, who died in 2007, famously decided to leave a huge chunk of her fortune, $12 million to be exact. Uh, that was not her fortune. This is what she left uh, to her eight-year-old white Maltese dog. Interestingly, the dog's name was Trouble. Uh, but it wasn't all plain sailing for Trouble. Um, who had to be flown by a private jet to an undisclosed location in Florida after reportedly receiving death threats. Um, in 2009, a judge decided to slash Trouble's inheritance by $10 million, with the money going towards the Hamley's two grandchildren, who had previously been excluded from the will. $2 million uh, was deemed adequate to cover expenses for twice the dog's life expectancy. As it turned out, the multi-million pound pooch died uh, just four years later and her funds uh, were diverted back to the Helmsley Family Trust to support uh, the charities. Some time ago, there was a... a um, actually, it was yeah, a, few, a good few years ago now, there was a fascinating television programme uh, getting people to discuss their wills with their children before they died. Uh, and it, I found it absolutely fascinating to watch... Um, what, what was an essentially a, dispute, a, a dispute and a debate about cash uh, being fought out over the dining room table. And they had uh, the, the guy who heads, uh, headed up Gardner Merchant Catering, I forget his name, uh, but basically he was the guy who was moderating and trying to encourage them to look at it differently. Uh, and it was extraordinary uh, to see people change their whole mindset about how they might divide their will up. For instance, there was one family who had a, a, son who was, a grandson who was disabled, and they had decided to leave all their wealth to the one grandson who was disabled. They hadn't discussed it with the parents at all. They just decided to leave it entirely to the grandson. Actually, the parents had done enough in their lives to support the grandchild, their, their child, the parent's grandchild, right the way through his life. He didn't need any more money at all. But the parents had just decided to do that. And so eventually they split the will evenly across their family. And the grandchild got some, but the rest of the family got others. But, you know, it needed that discussion around the table to actually formulate the plan as to how that would happen. But without that, you can imagine what would have happened when they died and the grandson, who was already uh, well set up for the future with everything he needed in terms of housing and, and provision and care, uh, he got the lot and the other parts of the family got nothing. You can imagine what would have happened at that point. I'm sure everybody in the room will know somebody or perhaps you personally have been involved in a debate over cash, uh, especially when uh, a will is read. So the text we have in front of us today has a lot to say about our moment on earth, uh, short moment on earth in comparison to eternity. I often describe us as just a dot in the lengthy process. 
um, that we, we, we actually have. It has a lot to talk about wealth. And, and you know, you have to recognize that compared to many people in the world, we in Five Head uh, are, are indeed blessed. In fact, in comparison with most, uh, we, we are actually a blessed people. We are very rich. Turn on the news, and especially at the moment with the political upheaval, the money markets uh, are likely to be part of the news. And after the European vote, there was much made in the dramatic fall uh, on the markets. Uh, the fact that they've risen again um, you know, doesn't seem to have uh, been such a highlight in the news. Um, the fact that the pound dropped to a level that has not been seen and is still struggling for more than 30 years. This was the news. This was the big news. This was the headline banner. Nothing, nothing, I think, was said about nearly half the world's population, more than 3 billion people who live on less than $250 a day, $2.5 a day. More than 1.3 billion people live in extreme poverty, less than $1.25 a day. 1 billion children worldwide live in poverty. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. 805 million people worldwide don't have enough food to eat. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water. Diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation and hand hygiene kills an estimated 842,000 people every year globally. Approximately 2,300 people per day. I was really pleased last night to see a news clip about Hilton Hotels who are now recycling all their old soap so that it can go to people who don't have any soap to use. That is good. That is good. And in 2011, uh, 165 million children under the age of five had a reduced rate of growth and development due to chronic malnutrition. Now, we don't know what it was like uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was around and doing his ministry on earth. But he and the rest of the Bible certainly have a great deal to say on money. In the Bible, it's a top-of-the-list issue. Money and possessions are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Money is mentioned more than 800 times in the Bible. In fact, Jesus talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell. Eleven of the 39 parables in Scripture talk about money. Money is on our minds all the time. One of the biggest worries for many is it seems to be that surrounding the topic of money. Money seems to be the universal symbol for greed. And Jesus used this topic of money and wealth because we can relate to it. Because we all need some money to live on, to survive in the world. In fact, a considerable part of our life is often spent worrying about the wealth we may have on earth when actually we could perhaps spend a little more time saving up for the rest of eternity as I made uh, that note with this rope in front of us. It's interesting, I think, to, to look at some of the statistics according to Oxfam about how wealth is distributed in the world. The richest 1% in the world now has as much wealth as the rest of the world combined. The richest 1% now has as much as the 99. 
Oxfam also calculated that the richest 62 people in the world had as much wealth as the poorest half of the global population. Just 62 people have more wealth than half of the world. Now, I know some of them do good with it, um, and we'll come to that. Uh, But it is staggering to think that the wealth is absolutely confined into a very small number of the nation. So let me say again, compared to many people in the world, we are indeed blessed. Now, that's not to say in the measure of things that in this country we don't have poverty, but it is poverty by British standards rather than the world standard. And it's hard to live in poverty in this country too, and we should pray and act for those in poverty in this country too. But by comparison, we live in the rich third of the world, not the poor two-thirds of the world. Now, it's also important, I think, to stress that God does not condemn the rich for being rich. So if you're sitting here and you are a multimillionaire, um, then don't worry about it. He's not condemning you for that, necessarily. Um, Some of the most godly people in the Bible were rich. Uh, In fact, one of them is mentioned right at the end of the reading, Job. Uh, Just listen to this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. But he was blameless and upright, and feared God and shunned evil. He was incredibly wealthy. I don't know what you do with 3,000 camels, personally, uh, or 500 donkeys. I mean, I don't know, but he was wealthy. And and the sign of wealth was in his his animals as much as his money. And Abraham, uh, just when Abraham and and Lot are separating in Genesis 13, so Abraham went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him, and Abraham became very wealthy in a livestock and silver and gold. And then in Genesis 24, we see his servant say, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. Why is it that camels and donkeys occur so much in the Bible? I don't know. And Joseph, Joseph, he of the coat of many colors, he became a rich man as well. Despite his brother's actions, he became very wealthy and very powerful. And David, and Solomon too, in the Old Testament, but not only in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. Uh, Barnabas, who sold all he had, we're told, and gave it to the community of believers in Jerusalem. Now, if you are a millionaire out there, uh, why do you consider giving all that you have to Five End Baptist Church uh, for Jerusalem and the kingdom? Uh, that's just a sideline. Um, and, of course, uh, you, would be, you would be known as an encourager if you did that, uh, just like uh, the name Barnabas means, <laughs> encourager. Um, in fact, if there is somebody out there who's going to do that, I might consider coming to be your pastor after all. <laughs> and Philemon, uh, we're told, who, who was a slave owner. By inference, of course, if you are a slave owner in the New Testament, you are wealthy. Uh, and he was asked by Paul to give, forgive one Eastmus uh, to accept his slave as a brother in Christ and consider sending one Eastmus back to Paul. Uh, look in Philemon if you want to check that account out. And also in the New Testament, Lydia. Lydia was the known, known as the seller of purple dye, indigo, the purple dye, which was incredibly expensive. You know, there was, more, there was as much value in indigo dye as there was in pure silver. That's how expensive indigo dye is. 
Uh, and Lydia uh, w- w- was a woman who opened up her home for the church to settle and grow in. Again, the inference here is that if you're able to do that, then you're probably fairly wealthy. You're not living in a mud hut somewhere. You're actually living in a fairly formidable home. So let's get this out of the agenda. It doesn't matter if you're extremely wealthy. It doesn't matter. It's how you handle the wealth that is of importance. Let me just point out to you what Timothy says. He says in, in Timothy six, uh, 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You know, it's, it's amazing how many times this, uh, this hope in wealth, we are told, is uncertain. Uh, we read about it from Matthew, it's here in Timothy, it's here in, in James as well. Uh, in in James, James 4, it says... Uh, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. You know, the building up of wealth on this earth is of no value at all for the eternal life that we are heading for if we put our hope in God. Uh, So uh, uh, he says, don't be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way... And in this way only, my words, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for eternity, so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. So, feel at ease if you're absolutely loaded with cash. Well done, but don't worry about it. Just handle it correctly. However, because there's always a however to these things, Jesus does speak of the difficulty of the rich being saved. Um, One of the things I often want to say to people uh, is that Jesus loves a laugh. Um, I would go so far as to say that we ought to be more into laughing, because laughing actually does us good. It uh, it feeds our body with endorphins, I think it is, that makes us sort of feel buoyant and okay and upbeat. And uh, in fact, there's a great book that I've got on my bookshelf Um, in my study, which is called Laughing Pilgrims. I think that we should be laughing pilgrims. Uh, You know, one of the problems for the church and and, and how people look at the church is that they think we're dull and boring and completely irrelevant. You know, who'd want to go there? They've got such staid faces. I often say to people when they're singing, when I'm standing at the front, certainly at Lee Abbey, when we're in a sort of more intimate uh, area in the octag, I often say to people, will you smile, please, when you're singing? Uh, you know, because they sing these great songs of joy and they're sort of, you know, it's, it's still... And when I listen to Radio 4, I'm on my hobby horse now, when I listen to Radio 4 in the morning, uh, on the morning service sometimes, I get so depressed with the fact that the BBC always have these miserable vicars who speak with vicars' voices, you know, which are so irrelevant to the world. And what, what we should be doing is putting on buoyant, upbeat, evangelical churches who are singing the praises of God with their voices lifted and with laughter. Then the world will say, gosh, I wouldn't mind going and joining that place. It sounds good fun. So let me encourage you to be uh, laughing pilgrims. Um, Just a couple of quotes from laughing pilgrims. Um, uh, The Bible doesn't look funny. Often it's bound in black with bowling lane columns of fine print fenced in by cryptic cross-reference codes and explanatory notes. And a lot of what we read in the Bible isn't funny at all. Boundary lists, genealogies, songs of pain and repentance, tragic stories of loss, even brutality and much more. 
even though we may be perversely amused by threats of tumours and an incurable itch. Yet the Bible often is funny, just as we should expect it to be, if it truly reflects the full range of faith and life. It includes, amongst other things, jokes and riddles, trickster and comic deliverance stories, humorous parables, and even some naughty humor. And we don't have to be comic geniuses or Bible experts to get it. Uh, And um, uh, this is no relative of mine, somebody called Robert Farah Capon. Uh, He says, The world as we know it suggests Robert Farah Capon at a playful after-dinner bash with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit whopping up a huge batch of being, something the Father is just wild about. They laughed, and they told old jokes, and threw olives, and flung into existence a dazzling array of new forms of being. Crocodiles and crabapples, eagles and earwigs, porcupines and platypi, and nebulae, black holes and galaxies galore, and kept laughing, clapping each other on the back, and shouting, Tov, which, assuming God spoke Hebrew, uh, in this moment meant wonderful. As they began to wind down, and had chuckled through assorted humans they'd thought of, you and me, they shouted even louder, Toff Miod, fantastic. While polishing off the popcorn and pistachios, they mingled so be it with water blasts and frequent amens. And it was evening and morning. What a day. <laughs> uh, you know, we need to be laughing pilgrims. Um, and one of my favorite jokes in the Bible is found in Matthew 19. Let me just turn to it so I can uh, uh, pull it up. Uh, Matthew 19. Um, in Matthew 19, um, we, we see this story about uh, the rich and the kingdom of God. This is, don't forget, it's the teaching of the difficulty of, of, of people being saved. And a, a young man comes up in, in Luke, I think it calls it a, a ruler, um, and in Mark calls it a man. But somebody comes up to Jesus and says, uh, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, because you know probably the story, he says, well, you need to obey the commandments and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, I'm doing all that. And he says, well, in that case, you need to give your wealth away, all of it away. Uh, and, of course, he doesn't want to do that because that's just uncomfortable, just like the millionaire in, in amongst you who has not given their money yet to five Baptist yet. That's uncomfortable. But, what, what, but the joke, of course, is that the way Jesus describes it is he says it's easier uh, for a rich man to get into heaven uh, than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, when people say there is no jokes in the Bible, and that is a joke. You know, it's just funny. And the people in, 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 in his time around him would have thought it funny. Um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for somebody who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, it's not how much you've stashed up, but whether you're so committed to the stash that it comes before your worship of God that it comes before giving to the poor or to the church, that you build your stash of wealth into an idol. So there is clear difficulty about the rich being saved, but that doesn't mean they can't be saved. And there are times when God is also very angry at the rich, uh, as in our text in in James um, 5. which uh, you know, says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and your moths, and moths have eaten your 
your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Let's face it, this is, this is strong language. Um, and God is very angry at sometimes at the rich. Actually, to be fair, uh, so far in, in what I've been saying, we've been looking at people who are already believers in Jesus. But actually, in essence, you, in, you can be rich, be, do not put wealth before following and worshipping God. But here, most of the commentators would say that this uh, text in James is actually speaking to non-believers. He's saying to the wealthy people out there, hey guys, this, if you operate in this way, uh, you're, you're following a false god. And um, in Luke 16, in that passage, uh, just around that passage uh, about the, 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 the rich man who comes to, to, uh, to Jesus, um, Luke 6.13, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So when it comes to matters of wealth, rich and poor, let's see that Jesus does not say you cannot be wealthy, but does ask us how we're going to respond to wealth we might have. So we need to continue to reflect on a God who has eternity mapped out for us and how we will respond in our everyday living here and now and how we will understand our worship to him in the here and now. Because, as I've already pointed out really, um, and in James 4.14 it says, Why you do not know, even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, you are just this little black bit at the end of the rope. There's, there's a lot out there to come in the future. But so often we concentrate just on this little bit and not on what is to come in eternity. Just a small story to close with. The preacher never stopped talking about money. The congregation clutched their notes and coins and squirmed. He told them not to worry about stuff, uh, much, uh, so much about stuff that'll rot. He told them that the folding stuff was not the currency to buy meaning and happiness. He singled out one man and told him to sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor. He had them shaking their heads when he said, happy are the poor. Some of the best dressed stomped out, noses in the air. A few of the wealthy and powerful slipped quietly into a back room and had a contract put out on the young preacher's life. And it only cost them 30 pieces of silver. Wealth can be a hindrance to the kingdom. But conversely, it can be such a blessing to the kingdom. So the encouragement is to see it worked out in your life that you, you do not end up trying to squeeze a camel through a very small hole. Because that will just be a struggle, a lifelong struggle, and bluntly, you will not succeed. And that will mean something different for all of us. But let's see if we can make sure that this 
small bit of life which we are given to live in freedom uh, can actually uh, develop something which is of more significance beyond wealth as we might understand it in cash terms in this country and more to that of the eternal life which is yet to come.